join Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 3 million members. You can win up to 25 times your money by picking more or less. Download the app today and use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable activewear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any US orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. Oh, goodness, what a goal! Is that a Rabona? Roger. Holy crap! Holy, holy, holy crap! How are you doing, sir? Oh, it's so good to be back. Us, the Ronaldo hip flexor of football podcast, David. <laughs> Absolutely. Who knows whether it's real or not? It's all a simulation. Uh, from the Men in Blazers studio in the crap part of Bedford, the crap part of West Hollywood, California, it's another Men in Blazers do it live! And what have we just witnessed... 90 minutes of football that just reinforces the case that the Champions League is football that is peerless. Absolutely, Rog. This is our weekly podcast in which we do it live every Wednesday during the Premier League season. We'll be here drinking from that cup of midweek superlative football narrative. For those of you, Jeff, if he's joining here on Spotify Green, start asking your questions in the chat right now. We're going to put you up on stage later in the show to hear from you. For those of you listening to this on a delay, if you don't do it live, do you even Benzema? The only way to actually participate in the pod is to join us here on the Green Room app. Let's kick this off with a toast, Rogelio. Oh, God, I need this so bloody badly. I want to raise mm, the first, third... But of the day to Rebecca Lowe, who this afternoon, oh, what a beautiful image. It's on our Instagram now, became an American citizen alongside her husband, the great Paul Buckle. And Bex wrote, it's been quite the journey since we landed on July 1st, 2013. We found a country which opened its arms to us. where We brought our child into the world where we found a home, the U.S., is everything we hoped it would be. Actually, it's more. We love so much about America, the culture, the people, the way of life. All I can say, I'm raising this Bud fam, Blood fam, in your direction, Bex, from one new American to another. I know the feeling, the joy, the pride, the immense sense of gratitude. America's all the better off for your citizenship. Courage. God, Teddy could end up playing for America. I love this. I have actually broached that issue with um, with Rebecca in front of Teddy uh, when we hung out in Los Angeles. I will not reveal his answer. That's ultimately for him to reveal when he gets the call up on social media, whatever social media (laughs) we're using in that time. But Godspeed, we're better off for having all of you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, before we get to the football, the tickets for our first live show in three years. God, is it really that long? And now on sale, it's happening Tuesday, May 10th, here in New York City. When I say here, I mean there in New York City at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Raven Newsletter subscribers had first crack at tickets earlier this morning, but we've now opened it up to all. The website to purchase is all over our social media, and the promo code is COURAGE, all caps. 
comfy with us. Really, really, really. Dear GFOPs, we've heard so many of you coming in for more points. You know, we used to take being together, just celebrating the connectivity we all feel through football, the joy, the meaning uh, that we all experience. We did used to take it for granted. And this night, which I've just, you know, ate for throughout lockdown, all I can say is, God, I can't wait for this magical night to be together, to raise several first, third birds of the evening, talk about the game we love in our adopted hometown. It's truly, truly, truly a reason to be grateful. Okay, Rog, to the football. Here we uh, all thought the first leg of this PSG Real Madrid tie was a night of knockout Champions League action for the ages. This second game, which seems settled after Kylian Mbappe's 39th-minute goal on the break. But on the hour mark, Gianluigi Donnarumma turned the ball over to Benzema, handing Real Madrid a lifeline at 2-1 on aggregate. And in the 76th minute, a dizzying flurry of action saw big-body Benz finish his hat-trick, two ruthless finishes separated by only 10 seconds of play, further cementing the Frenchman in the Madrid echelons and sending Real through to the next round. What a night. What a night in Madrid you know what a clash just absolutely magical the notion of the prospective champion of France albeit coming off a league loss to Nice against the champions elect of Spain Real Madrid just the excitement levels going into this is what Champions League football is all about you know Carlo Ancelotti god bless what a man used his time at Goodison Park to earn nights like tonight he deserves it um, the memory of PSG, so dominant at the Parc de France, were just the dominant ones in the opening exchanges here. Two massive chances inside 14 minutes. Real, from the off, played as if they were supremely confident in their scoring ability too. And Bappe had the ball in the back of the net. But despite his Mary Catherine Gallagher armpit celebration, he was offside. Reprieve for Real Madrid. Reprieve not taken, because within five minutes, Davo, Mbappe freed for a run-in on goal from the halfway line, dispatched by Neymar, who made a pass like a Brazilian Harry Kane. And Mbappe was flanked by Alaba, and he simply, I don't know how he did it, I've watched this goal a hundred times, he seemed to just spank it right through him with derision and completely bamboozled Courtois, David. Yeah, it's not easy to bamboozle Courtois. Uh, but Mbappe able to do. I had a long, uh, a long range view of this across the restaurant where uh, I had a meeting earlier, and a bunch. I mean, really, this was like a an intercon- intercontinental fan group of people going crazy, transfixed, and making noises at every single part of this game. But it was like it was just one of multiple, multiple highlights. This narrative about the man who's talked about moving to Real Madrid, screwing again and possibly burying Los Blancos. That was that, that just, I mean, it's hard to even remember this after the second half we've just sat through. It did feel like game over. In the olden days, especially with away goals, you know, Real Madrid suddenly looking like an aging squad in need, but need of a makeover, down and out. But then Donnarumma handed them a lifeline, being caught needlessly, dawdling in possession. Benzema feasted on the easiest opportunity. And it's magical. The entire Bernabeu started a chant, Si se puede, yes, we can. Yes, we can. And inspired, Benzema then summoned an equaliser. Another defensive mishap by PSG, who really were the self-destruction on an epic scale as much as it was a comeback. And then I'm still like shocked by this, just watching where Benzema storms in from. 11 seconds later, straight from the kickoff, PSG quaking, just pounced on a sloppy ball, finished ruthlessly, clinically, wondrously, and took the acclaim. What a moment. He's got another. He's got another. He's got another. Just a classic moment of commentary in which Clive Tilsley just lost himself, stopped being an elite broadcaster, started to summon and and just channel the passion of a, a child's love of the game. And I think it was all the better, the commentary for it, a classic classic moment of television and my god Davo Benzema what a what a finisher just French Reggie Miller against the Knicks antics <laughs> yeah I mean a player of such quality when you're watching elite football when you watch football 
of this quality, the kind of football we're watching Manchester City play and watching Liverpool play at some moments this season and just the quality of this game from start to finish, the sort of renewed quality of Barcelona this season, it is, you're watching stuff that's happening at a different level. It makes watching regular football difficult almost. It's just from a different planet. It's a different being. Um, phenomenal player, phenomenal team. And this result is going to have massive repercussions across the game. 34 years and 80 days old, Karim Benzema, the oldest player to ever score a hat-trick in the Champions League. He actually looked younger and younger and younger. God, poor Poch just absolutely crushed on the sideline. You can take the man away from Spurs. You can't take the Spursiness away from the bloke. He has rarely looked more like a Manchester United manager in waiting Oh, and not in a good way. And PSG, you know, still had time. That was what was shocking. Still had time. Messi, Neymar, Mbappe. But that front three, just feckless, lost. Um, The back line, just utterly, I mean, stopped playing any kind of organized positional football. And Messi, no Champions League final in seven seasons, ended up looking like a lost boy, just wandering around, really strolling around, asking himself why, why, why that missed penalty in the first leg. Obviously, I mean, football, if he'd scored, the games would have gone off on the Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors a reality. So football doesn't work how it does mentally in our head, where we say if he hadn't missed that penalty at all, it would have been different. But that is the narrative rod which will now beat him. But nights like tonight, Davo, are why we watch Champions League. Simply the most incredible football tournament in the world, apart from the Florida Cup. (laughs) Yeah, and the echoes. Ronaldo at Manchester United, Messi at Madrid. Um, Just amazing what is happening to these two men. And And the parallels, actually, between PSG... Uh, and Manchester United, and you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the managerial situation and what is going to happen now with Poch. I think there's just going to be repercussions across football after this exit. Okay, Rog, today's other game, slightly less climactic. As City got through their second leg at such a canter, Pep was able to test out a new tactical innovation. The closer goalkeeper taking off Edison for Scott Carson. It was a baseball move who then only went and made an outstanding save to preserve the clean sheet. Today's nil-nil, meaning City advanced 5-0 on aggregate. This comes after Liverpool lost 1-0 at home to Inter Milan yesterday, but still advanced on aggregate. And Bayern just hammered RB Salzburg 7-1 to punch their ticket into the next round. Yeah, City, so far ahead of Sporting, they brought 36-year-old Scott Carson on for the lols. A slightly nervy night at Anfield for Liverpool fans, which saw the Italians become the first team to win in front of the cop, other than their own beloved Liverpool, for over a year, which in itself is a magnificent feat by Klopp Mm. and his squad. A spectacular Toro Martinez strike gave in to hope. But within seconds, oh, bless him, Alexis Sanchez had yet another terrible night in the north and was sent off. Liverpool held on, and I did enjoy Klopp's words at the final whistle. The art of football is to lose the right games. If there was any game we could have afforded to lose, it was tonight. Wow. Because the main target of this competition is to get through. But it's not that I'm sat here over the moon. Having said that, Liverpool's dreams of a quadruple continue. And in the other game, Bayern Munich... Teutonic Scooby-Doo, feasted on Salzburg, Teutonic Scrappy-Doo, a public arse slapping, a game that was just oh, such a beatdown. I actually thought Brendan Aronson had transferred to Leeds at halftime. Well, who is Teutonic Shaggy? I wonder. That's one of the great questions. In the comments, hit it up. And remember, on all of these games, if you want to talk about them, come up to the stage, slap your question. In the chat, and producer J Dubs will bring you up shortly. Oh, uh, J Dubs thinks Dortmund is definitely shaggy, Teutonic shaggy. <laughs> okay, Roger, I hate to do this to you, but um, you did actually volunteer to do this today from the Champions League to your beloved Everton. They lost 5 0 to Tottenham on Monday, <sighs> a game played after uh, our podcast recorded. They have now lost three straight league games. They're just one point clear of the drop with Sean Deitch's lot breathing uh, down their necks. 
Yeah. I mean, what do you want to know? Everton Football Club, the, yeah, the Shackleton ship of, uh, of football clubs. I, I mean, I tweeted that there's nothing in my life that I have given more love to and received only scorn in return than Everton Football Club. And, you know, we had a great tweet from our mate, the musical genius known as Tambino. Um, he wrote, um, everything's going down and we're going to unlock Roger Bennett's Batman villain origin story, which is, you know, somewhat true. And want to see how I got these emotional scars, Tambino, because we are going to see for the rest of the season, I feel a sense of helplessness feel a sense of doom i'm sure there'll be a couple of questions about this um so we can talk more about it but it's it's harrowing 35 days into the job to see frank lampard in crisis and we have to look ahead to sunday uh against walls i do think the fans will raise the roof at goodison park and do everything they can to help save their team yeah because that's what this is it is a save the team moment and the club are in such a dark place Years of mismanagement, coming home to roost, insanity in the transfer market, um, cutting ourselves free of Usmanov, which was the right thing to do. The Uzbeki oligarch who poured sponsorship funding into the club. Um, the story of that is still to be written. The crippling financial repercussions in the medium term. Uh, he was said to have given Everton at least 60% um, of their sponsorship revenues, which is going to create massive accounting challenges and there's rumors the club is being floated for sale now um honestly when i speak to people uh, bankers investors uh in britain uh, the kind of best possible outcome right now is that we'll pick up some kind of american investor who wanted chelsea but is willing to settle for a let's just say more singular idiosyncratic choice uh, but with the Bromley Dock new stadium to be financed, it is going to be a tough sale. We're going to doff our cap to Spurs, the erratic Kings, buoyant again. They head to Manchester where they beat City last month to face United. God bless Harry Kane, 13 goals in 14 league games with a double here, a feat he's now achieved in six of his last nine appearances against Everton. Dave Ernest Hemingway once said, I think. Uh, I'm not sure he wrote it about Everton, but I think he did. The most painful thing is losing yourself in the process of loving <laughs> someone too much and forgetting that you are special too. And a mate of mine, Scott, who's a massive Everton fan, said Everton have been in English soccer's top flight since 1954. We've just been through the first pandemic in forever, a massive European war erupting for the first time in forever. And he said, things come in threes. We will see, Dave. Oh, God, Woody Johnson, if you're listening. Hail Everton, the butt fumble era. I love the Jets-Everton merger. That's how bad things have gone. It's just hard to figure. I mean, looking at that loss, which, you know, in the years that I've been observing Everton closely, you know, in the, the Men in Blazers era from circa 2010, I this is the worst loss and performance I can think of. I wonder where you would contextualize it within terrible Everton rosters. Um, and just this, the delta between their performances at home and their performances away. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like that. Uh, it was a, the, the delta is enormous. Frank Lampard still to win um, a game on the road. It is a, I mean, it's a, it was a flaming disaster. Just players who should have been binned a long time ago, revealing for the thousandth time that they are, Utterly dis really only Anthony Gordon trying, hustling, caring. I mean, it is a it is a darkness. Madeline Hughes in the chat saying I brought this on Everton by saying they get relegated. Yeah, even a broken clock is uh is relegated once in right. 57 years, I guess is the reality. Let us talk more about it in the questions from the GFO piece. It's a human darkness. It really it's almost too Hard to fathom the many, 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 many mistakes um, that got us here. You know, you look at it. We, we, we've done our Allardyce, so we can't Allardyce our way out of this. Uh, the Benitez appointment, just transfer after transfer. But my God, um, it is a human darkness to sit there and have my kids just either sobbing or asking me why, 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 and not being able to give them an answer. Thank God it's only football. 
is what I'm telling myself. You know, that ultimately within the context of yeah. the world right now, it's only football. Very true. Okay, gosh, with that, let's get to the Q&A portion of the show. We're going to call you up onto the stage, invite you to speak. When you move to the stage, please just remember to stay muted until we call on you. And a reminder to everyone listening, the only way you can ask a question is to join us here on the green room. Rog, who's up first? Oh, if it isn't the great Aaron Centrefanti. Aaron, tell us where you are and what's your question. Hey, Raj. Hey, Devo. Um, I am in beautiful Wixom, Michigan, on uh, the outskirts of Detroit. Wixom. Yeah. That sounds honestly like a, a border town between Wales and England. I'm using a very romantic projection of what <laughs> Wixom is probably like. Aaron. Between Bristol and Wrexham. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Michigan's version of Wrexham. You know. Yeah, I think Ryan Reynolds uh, thought he brought the Wixom soccer team when he invested in Wrexham. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's what he's hoping for. But uh, my question, I, so I just want to let you guys know, this is my first green room. Um, I am relatively new to football. I used to call it soccer. Um, Welcome, friends. <laughs> I am. I have decided to be a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan. Great. What's the best case scenario for me? What What's our? You know, what can we hope for? Can we hope for a Leicester, a Leicester City? Uh, I know it's Leicester. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, like what? What's the best case scenario? What What should I be? Rooting How did you for. choose Wolves, Aaron? How did you make that considered choice? I'm genuinely fascinated. I have a buddy who's a Spurs fan, and his life seems like hell. So I didn't want to do that. Um, and they were newly in the Premier League, and I'm like, you know, might as well. I don't know. It was their orange. I don't know. Don't have a good reason, but they're my team now. So. Can I, can I just tell you one quick thing about Wolves? I made a film about them when they got promoted. Um, and um, God love everybody I met connected to the club. I said how much I love their orange jersey, knowing that they take that very, very seriously. And each person ever more aggressively just kept saying, roll gold. It's not orange. It's roll gold. <laughs> and I'm like, wicked. I just kept saying it more and more. And then they had, a, they had an old uh, staff in the 1950s who actually got so offended he tried to fight me. Um, and that was when I took my place because even though he was like late seventies, he could have kicked the crap out of me. Dave, okay, that's good to know. I need to get offended about that now. Yeah, that's need to it. Roll gold, um, <laughs> Dave. What, what's the ceiling for Wolves? I mean, look, I feel like a few weeks ago my answer might have been slightly different, and we can't just react to what's happening recently. They've lost three on the bounce in the Premier League, and it's definitely taking them out of a lot of top four conversations so maybe this season's Europa League I, I would say it's like Wolves a really good team well organized some great players I think Bruno Lage has done a superb job this year lovely fan support I love those jerseys made of pure gold but they are um it's a piece of silverware that's what you want maybe a Carabao Cup maybe an FA Cup maybe Maybe a Florida Cup, Rog. I think these are the things for Wolves over the next few years. That's your, that's your upside. But you're going to see some great goals. Not a lot of them, but you're going to have a few. You're not going to concede that many, so you're not going to have that awful disappointment. Uh, but Wolves, I think, is a great choice. I love that choice for an American fan. I mean, the reality is Wolves are a classic team. Wolves are a heritage team. Wolves are a tradition team. Wolves are a, I mean, to go to a game at Molyneux is a thing of wonder. It really is a passionate hotbed of wonder and joy. They have dreamt, they have suffered. Um, you know, the long periods where the club was so impoverished. It was a, they're very proud of this. whole side of the stadium was rat infested. Um, and so, you know, they know, uh, having come through the wilderness, they take nothing for granted. It's just a beautiful, beautiful match day um, experience. And Wolves also come with an international team bedded, baked in. You get to have Portugal as your second favourite team after the United States, Aaron. Um, so they got that going for them. I That's think amazing. they are a magical team. The, the large uh, impact it needs more than one season to truly, truly judge it. And we've seen the great of him. At the beginning, he, he lost games where they played really well and won games where they played really badly. Um, he's had a great spur. It's not been sustained. Um, unfortunately, uh, recently, it's been more like the West Ham 
uh, wobble trajectory. The opportunity is there. There's a lot more of this season to go. And no one seems to want fourth place. Um, and so let us play this out. And I just, I just take my hat off and huge respect to you for your, I'd say your, your disciplined choice, Aaron. I think it's phenomenal. I love hearing how different Americans make their choice. It fills me with joy. It's the wonder. Yeah, Rog, I thought it was a, I thought it was a Michigan Wolverines thing. It was a Michigan Wolverines, and then Wolverines no, 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 no. I'm a, I'm a Michigan State Spartan. Weird. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's no. the orange. It's the bloody orange, Aaron. Um, you actually, you know what? It, it was Adama Traore. Actually, I loved him. Yeah. And now, yeah. you know, but. Yeah, yeah, baby oil players, do they? What are you going to do? They are once in a lifetime. Aaron, come be with us any time, you gorgeous human being. Next one up, it's Mr. Everett Rice. Tell us where you're from, Everett. What's your question? Hey, Raj and Devo. I'm, uh, I guess, living my best life in South Jersey, I suppose. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Which of the South Jersey towns are you in? Uh, are you the gentleman farmer, Everett? Right? <laughs> I'm the true GFO. I put the GF in, o, in GFOP. Oh, you're up. Are you the gentleman <laughs> farmer? How is the farm, Everett? Can we get a uh, quick, quick life on the farm? Get a status it's update from you. Uh, ch- chicken egg production's on the rise. I can't, yes. I can't tell if it's because um, it's lighter out longer and is warmer, or just when they saw me take one of their compadres out in a shovel and burn them out and bury them in the backyard that Maybe I was sending them a message, cool. which it wasn't. It was it was just uh, dealing with the cycle of life and death. That's the Jose Mourinho school of management. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do give them. Uh, I kind of give them pep talks and kind of like throw one under the bus, like uh, uh, little Jerry's egg productions uh, <laughs> down a little bit. I don't, I don't know. Um, but anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, actually, sorry. Side question. On the yep. Wolver- Wolves we, front. It's a question, do we want to buy some eggs? Because the answer is yeah. <laughs> What was your side question? When Aaron was talking, saying, I was mad when I heard the Wolves being orange. I was like, no, they're yellow. How, how would a Wolves fan, res- a true Wolves fan respond to me saying that their team's yellow? Would they be pissed about that? Would who be pissed about being called yellow? A true Wolves fan. If they, if you called their shirt yellow, they're. I think they just yeah. pity you, Everett, for your uh, your sight deficiency. <laughs> and I'm now worried about all the animals on the farm. To be honest, what is your question? It's about potch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was. Do you feel? I, I love. I love potch, and I was wondering, like, do you feel like this though? Yeah, like winning League One is sort of. It doesn't. To me, it doesn't feel like it is reputation building. It's kind of like table stakes, like. Do you feel like he kind of is going to start being perceived as a good manager, but not somebody like not a great manager that can truly, truly take a team to the promised land? Potch, the status of that is a fascinating question. The league earned victory is kind of essentially a given. What do we think of Potch? Um, If you think of your philosophy as you're only as good as your last movie, David. Yeah. Where's his stock? I mean, his stock has definitely dropped i'm not talking just about the last 24 hours i think that you know his failure to win at tottenham i think a lot of tottenham fans would say they should have backed him they should have backed him they should have backed him when he was there and and given him the new players um i think this is going to be a crushing defeat in the champions league and could spell the end of his career at psg um i do think there's a significant conversation with manchester united in his future um, but I don't know. I think is there is a question mark around him, and yet, like, think about some of the football. Think about the football that his Tottenham were playing when they were at their prime, uh, and just superb, superb Premier League manager. I think he'll always have a home. He is, he is, he's one of the elite European managers. I'd certainly, you know, take a shot on him. I mean, Poch is a wonderful human being. He doesn't have an agent, uh, Poch. He just has a lawyer. I don't. I do not think he he really understood what he was getting himself into at PSG. I mean, to think about it, a man who preaches about the power of the collective, going to the club that is possibly the greatest uh, Avengers assembled just group of of, of random individuals, apart hmm. from Manchester United for, uh, at the moment. Um, 
And so I'd say, never mind as a good manager, just as a decision maker about where he was going to invest his energy. I think it's he's definitely driven himself into a cul-de-sac. Um, and so, you know, the argument about good managers and great managers, ultimately football is fairly unforgiving and great managers win things, great managers win trophies. They win big trophies in big moments with big teams. He's certainly not uh, yet um, in that category, but um, he's an unbelievably bloody good manager. What he did at Tottenham Hotspur almost hung on his own high standards of, of, of play. The, the, like the year without an incoming um, player and just somehow still levitating the Champions League final. And then it just uh, imploded. imploded very much like um, it imploded for Klopp at uh, Dortmund. Suddenly you're there, you're there. It's a great team, a great team. And then you just lose um, all energy. And ultimately, I've told this story a couple of times on the podcast. You know, Poch, when I spent time with him at Tottenham, um, made a point of making the players and all the whole staff shake hands with each other first thing in the morning and say hello to every single person they encountered as a way to create a culture of mutual respect and togetherness. I mean, ultimately, you could say, and we'll only know by the, his next job, whatever it is, and his stock at Manchester United seems to go up and go down according to the tabloids on a daily basis. But that may work with your Eric Dyers, uh, your Harry Kane's, your Sonnies, but you know, does it work with the Messies, the Neymars, um, uh, and the like, and, and and the complex entourage? I think ultimately for Pochettino, only history, and by history I mean his next job, will determine whether he's a bloody great manager who just took the wrong job, or whether he's just a good manager who had an incredible spell at Tottenham Hotspur yeah. and then found himself at Everton ultimately in the Championship. But we will see what that story is. He's a lovely, yeah. lovely, he's a fantastic bloke. Um, and I, I do, I really, he's one of those managers you meet and you, you really root for him ever. Do you think he's made, you think he makes the whole entourage say hi to the janitor? Is that what? Uh, yeah, I don't know what his policy is on entourages. I've got to get an update. You know, I am going to, I will speak to, I'm quite friendly with someone who's a, a great mate of his. I will get you an update. If you keep updating us about the chickens, Everett, I'll keep up about the entourages. Stay well on that bloody farm. Be with us anytime. Next one up. Oh, it's Carter Inslee. Come be with us. Tell us where you are and what's your question. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm in Fairfax, Virginia. Oh, we, love, we know and love just a footballing hotbed in this country. What's your question, you beautiful human being? Uh, so this is also my first time doing a green room. I was just uh, watching the Champions League today. I thought this would be a fun time to start with it because I'm just watching the match between PSG and Real Madrid. And as, you know, Madrid are doing their thing, coming back and ended up winning the tie Sunday in PSG home. The thing that stuck with me that the commentators keep talking about with Madrid is how it, you know, they say like it's in their DNA, like they are the Champions League. They've been here before and stuff like that. And I just wonder how much truth you think there is to the idea that there's some teams like maybe Real Madrid that just have that kind of it factor when it comes to succeeding in it, you know, because teams change so much so quickly these days, but it still seems that there's teams like PSG that just whatever it is, they haven't found it yet. It's an incredible question, Dave. Does does history play through to the present day in Champions League football? You know, I've always been suspicious of this argument that, like, history really has a history of club success, really comes to bear on a game today that features new players, potentially a new manager, certainly a new thing, that what is the culture of sides? But I must say, increasingly, um, I had lunch today with a guy who uh, who's a former college basketball star and was and transferred, played at one school, then transferred and went to um, a really good basketball school. And was talking to me about just the standard of excellence that existed. He's actually talking about University of North Carolina, the standard of excellence that existed at University of North Carolina, and how that made him as a player, and how that sort of that sort of excellence, that tradition of excellence, just moved him and all of his fellow teammates and everyone associated with the program on a daily basis. And I do think that that does happen at well-run and historically successful football clubs that they 
they do have this tradition of excellence and it lifts everyone involved. It has to be maintained really hard year after year after year when all the players transition, the staff transition, the, the, the management transitions, even the ownership transitions. But I do think it's possible that it, it goes from era to era. First of all, shout out to Lake Braddock High School Bruins in Fairfax, Virginia, home of Mia Hamm. Um, <laughs> you know who does think that it matters um, is Pep Guardiola, um, who has taught from the very beginning of right. Manchester City's quest. And his, his white whale is to win the Champions League um, without Messi, without Barcelona, to show he can do it again. And he has perpetually said, you know, there's no history, tradition of winning here. It's thin. It doesn't exist. You you cannot go far in this tournament unless you have the experience of going deep to draw upon. So, you know, they were, could slay all comers in the Premier League, but it was almost like a, uh, a feat complete for him that it would take time. It would take many hard knocks before they had the resilience to come close to uh, reaching the top of the mountain. So he believes that absolutely... Um, profoundly and deeply, and no one has won more tournaments um, than Madrid, and it's such a core part of their identity, such a core part of Juventus's that they haven't. You know, they've won two, but they really dwell and see themselves in the, what is it, six or seven finals that they've been in that they lost. So history really, I mean, it's fascinating when you think about it. Um, It's completely different locker room most of the time, completely different players, completely different manager, but that history, that echo... Um, of the past truly comes uh, through, and um, God, it is a it it is an utterly um, fascinating notion that you do not just have to slay your own opponent in the Champions League, but you have to you have to slay your own history or face up to your own history in the most remarkable way. Poch has just said um, post game when asked about his future and Mbappe's contract, it's simply impossible to discuss about it now. It's not the right moment tonight. We are just really bloody disappointed. I mean, it, yeah, the, when when um, when PSG went two 0 up on aggregate, um, somebody tweeted us. We retweeted it. Uh, Pochettino is going to be the first person to win the Champions League and get fired uh, in that same season. God love him. Um, but that sounds like a real darkness. I've rarely heard a manager lower after a game than him, other than Antonio Conte uh, when he's on his off week at Tottenham Hotspur. God bless Carter in the incredible question. Next one up, oh, it's Tim Kenny. Tell us where you are, Tim, and what's your question? Hello, gentlemen. Uh, this is Tim, uh, calling from South Bend, Indiana. I am a uh, West Ham United supporter. Hey, how did you make that considered choice? God bless. I uh, actually called into a podcast. I called into Katie Nolan's ESPN podcast and asked her who I should cheer for, and she picked it for me. I God love Katie Nolan. God, that's fascinating. What was it about you that she chose West Ham for you rather than converted you to Liverpool Football Club? I, I, well, I asked, I said, like, hey, I'm from Indiana. Like, is there a way to map onto the U.S.? And they called me back and said, no, we need to know a lot more about you. And so they asked me a whole bunch of questions, and that's where they came out with. Oh, God bless. And how has it gone for you being a West Ham fan? Well, that's part of my question because, I mean, we've had our ups and our downs. Um, And this year, I feel like I came into this year just so excited. And we started off so hot. And then, I just, I guess my question is like, are we done? Do I have anything else to hope for? Because I just feel like they look so tired and we're just, we're such a, I don't know. We don't have any depth. I feel like at this point and nothing happened in January. Jesse never came through. Like, is there anything to hope for at this point? Yeah, there's always hope. There's always hope. I mean, I got to tell you, West Ham is one of the teams. What was it you said on the podcast the other day? Just to God, to be, to support a team that are owned by pornographers, that would just be a uh, that would just be a a dream. I think it's such a. Uh, I'm jealous <laughs> of the idea of being a West Ham fan. It's a club I went to as a as a, as a as a kid, you know, just over the river at Upton Park. It just didn't quite speak to me as the as the Chelsea Blues as a kid. But in a sort of a parallel universe, I'm a West Ham fan, and I've loved their success. I've loved watching them this season. They're still in sixth place. They're right there. Yes, they're. A, games in hand all around them 
Um, but yeah, I think there's the hope of, you know, European football for West Ham of some flavour. Uh, and my God, to see Mikel Antonio, to see, um, to see some of those players like turning out and playing in Europe, you know, Suchek, it would just be wonderful. Yeah. I um, first of all acknowledge that South Bend, Indiana is the East London of the USA. And um, on one hand, David Moyes, who I like hugely when he was at Everton, I admire him even more for the way he's picked himself up, having fallen off the horse several times in public. Um, I got to speak to him uh, the week before last for an interview that's airing this Sunday on the Men in Blazers show on Peacock TV. Um, And he's so human in this interview, really incredibly human talking about you know at first question i asked him um what makes a good team separate a team from the rest of the pack outside of the big six and he just leant into the microphone and he goes brian mcbride landon donovan and tim howard that that's what makes a great team it was a lovely uh, moment and it went on and i mean we talked about how the pandemic has changed us we talked about the importance of family and and the realization of what's really important in life I admire him a lot, but he's also a perpetual nearly man. I mean, we saw that um, against Liverpool. He can get a team so bloody close. So many times watching his Everton team, you know, he'd take the lead against a big club um, and then just sit deeper and deeper and deeper. And then we would inevitably will. And the the brutal record, is it 19 games at Anfield and he's never won there? There's things that, that just he's always Moses outside of the promised land in agony. Um, having said that, one of the things we talked about was just how bloody joyous his West Ham are to watch, you know, the Mikel Antonio celebrations, just the joy of Suchek, just the wonder of that squad from top to bottom. And I'd lean into that, Tim. I mean, it is a, it, it, I, I adore watching your West Ham. They're a magnificent, joyous uh, collective uh, to witness. And that, for me, is honestly enough. And I'd say... West Ham versus Sevilla is the game I'm most looking forward to in this European week. Um, and I would hold your question of whether the season's over. Sevilla, obviously the Europa League specialist. It's what they live for. It's what they do. Uh, the Europa League final is at their stadium this year. They want to be in it. But West Ham, I mean, those two collectives, just the two overachievers in Spain and in England going head to head. Let's talk about your West Ham after that first leg. Um, and we talk a little bit more about them on the Euro Nights podcast with Rory Smith this week for, for greater understanding of Sevilla. But savour that tie, Tim. I think it's going to be magnificent. And I wish you, all Hammers, and David Moyes especially, Godspeed. Next one up. Oh, it's Peter Shock. Tell us where you are, Peter, and what's your question? Gentlemen, I am here in sunny Seattle. I'm going to bring it back to PSG again, if you won't mind, but I kind of want to ask it in sort of like a larger, you know, kind of a larger macro question here, because I think it's important to consider, you know, what the influence of money is going to be going forward. And particularly in the European game after what's happened with my beloved Chelsea. And I'm just wondering if this whole experiment at PSG is peaked. And if there's a chance that Qatar might consider walking away from this. There's, there's a few reasons why I ask. One is they've made huge investments in megastars over the last decade, none of which really panned out, at least in the sense that they didn't achieve the goal that they set out to in winning the Champions League. Neymar's on the wrong side of 30, pretty dubious ROI there, at least in terms of on-field performance from an investment standpoint. I think it was 222 million euros. I don't, I don't think anybody would argue that they've gotten good value, at least on the field, for that kind of money. Mbappe is leaving... Um, Poch, as we've been talking about, is pretty much be- openly begging for the Man U job now. Um, and, you know, they just kind of seem weak in the transfer market as compared to what they've been um, over the past decade. I mean, I know that they brought in Messi, obviously, which is a huge win, but it kind of seemed like that was laid out pretty easily for them, given that he's such good friends with Neymar and there probably wasn't anywhere else that he'd be willing to go. So I guess just considering all that, do, is it just sort of, you know, do we think that there's a chance that this whole thing may be winding down? Or do you think it's more likely that they'll double down and try to rebuild the squad and uh, invest way more in the team? 
Look, I mean, the reality is watching PSG with their unbelievable array of individuals, very few of whom mesh, I marvel at the strategy behind Manchester City, who have um, spent an enormous amount of money, but done it in such a intelligent um, and remarkable way. And ultimately, you question, I mean, Qatar are going nowhere. They're about to host a World Cup. Uh, football is such a key part of their government policy. Um, the PSG experiment is a weird one because you know, they're building a team really for Champions League play. The league earn is, is, is incredibly boring for the players to play, often for the fans to, um, to watch. So they're playing for a handful of games every season. It's very hard to build a collective squad that is kind of Valerian steel under those circumstances. Um, but they do seem to have a just a, a a childlike enthusiasm for the biggest names. Not unlike Manchester United bringing in Ronaldo, you know, looking at his Instagram and his just appeal and his track record, rather than wondering what they exactly need to create a team that absolutely meshes in every regard. So you, the answer to your question, Peter, really depends on the learning curve of the ownership group uh, at PSG, which has been bloody slow. So far, incredibly slow um, to kind of change their their transfer policy. But let, let, I'd be fascinating to see which heads roll, how they react, uh, and Bappe's reaction uh, to this moment, what he decides to do, and really the reaction and counter reaction and the decisions that are made. Uh, and give us a year, and then we will really be able to articulate an answer to that question. This was this was an unbelievably shocking and brutal, savage. Um, loss for them emotionally. And I, I expect there to be massive wholesale changes, whether they're the right ones, uh, very much remains to be seen. Godspeed. We want to make sure we get all these questions in. We are going to blow through them. It's Nathan Woodle. Nathan, tell us where you are and what's your question. Hey, fellas. Uh, Nathan Woodell. I am here in uh, the great state of Texas in Austin. Um I do have a, a slightly unpleasant question to ask, uh, but it's it's been kind of interesting to me to see the coverage or lack thereof of the events that happened um, in Carataro down in Mexico. Um, you know the yeah. uh, you know the the violence that was going on down there, and uh, you know it seems like there's been you know bad response from the police. Uh, you know, kind of trying to cover it up, maybe things along those lines. Uh, and it, it hasn't really made it through to any kind of coverage in the U.S., at least that I've seen. Uh, and I'm just curious, you know, what what do you guys think, one, of the situation, and two, you know, what should be done from, you know, the, the club, the country, you know, the confederation? Should FIFA be involved in this? I mean, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the response here uh, that would be appropriate? I mean, there has been a response um, in terms of the the demand that the owners uh, step off. That uh, you know, th- there's been uh, replacements up and down. They're going to be fanless for an extent, ex- uh, extended period of time. It was a it was a slow response, a belated response. I think your question about why is it not a bigger um, issue is really genuinely fascinating, and I'd contextualize it. Um, you know, I'm fascinated by. League MX, I think it has a massive, massive future as a league, and particularly a massive, massive future as a league in the United States of America. It's the most watched league um, uh, in terms of eyeballs across uh, the United States of America. And it, uh, it is, I mean, by and large, even though it is the most watched, it doesn't kind of break through into um, Anglo media. Uh, but the issue of Mexico in general, I mean, just the... Partially, it would, just the conflicting reports have been, I think, quite unbelievably confusing. Just the sheer number of fatalities that were initially reported uh, and then denied, and then uh, following the journalists, they still believe that there were fatalities that have been. Um, uh, I mean, the, just the impossibility to get confirmed info. We still don't know exactly um, what occurred. But the you know, violence in Mexico, not football violence, the, the American press is is inured to that and doesn't cover that in the way that it should do um, on, on the regs. And I kind of fi- file that into, you know, if you read about 
just the the just the violence against women um the violence um just a widespread violence connected to uh cartel violence i mean i think really i'd fit it into why are we not talking about that more why is that not um a bigger piece of coverage and then the football um kind of just fits into that and following hercules gomez listening to him listening to him just recoil uh with horror and the shock and uh the real, I mean, we should all share, but his sentiment should be absolutely widespread in every regard. But I think it's really a, a, the way Mexico is covered um, from a policy issue and a media issue in general in America. That, and I'd fit the football, uh, I'd fit the football very much into that, Nathan. It's, I mean, it's it's, it's brutal. Um, it is absolutely um, untenable. It's unfathomable. We lack the. I mean, we almost lack the construct to even understand it i mean going to football in england in the 1980s to be honest where gangs went to games not to watch them or to cheer their team but to cause mayhem and violence against fans of wearing the other shirt that's there was an echo of that but what happened at the weekend in at Taro is is so it's just that on a much more brutal scale and the horror you're right we should all be talking about it but in a way we should be talking about so much that happens um in in mexico but do not in the united states last question from you you beautiful man kevin greed come wrap this green room up bring us some joy ask us a question tell us where you are and fire away hey hey y'all this is uh this is i'm kevin i'm come calling from uh prince george's county maryland right outside of dc Hey, we have to legally have a Maryland voice on every podcast, even though yours is very low down in the mix. Welcome to you from PG County. What's your question, Kevin? All right, so we are going to fast forward to August 1st, 2022, before uh, Coach Gabbard and Billy Schwartz here. And Everton Football Club will be playing oh. in the 2022-23 start the season, what changes will have had to take place between now and that date for that to become a reality? Kevin Gree, you're asking a very, I mean, I, I can't jump at this question hard enough. August 1st, 2022, Kevin Green, Davo has told us that Everton will be playing in the Premier League, which is a very moot point right now. Will they, Davo? Um, I mean, how would you hit that? Uh, it was tough for me to hear the question. What changes? What changes need that. to occur if Everton are pre- Kevin Green very generously is saying Everton will be Premier League still come next season. What changes do they okay. need to make to Good. to avoid this happening all over again? Look, a new central defence, um, a lot more uh, depth and cut and thrust in midfield. And they probably need some uh, some more attacking players to back up uh, Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin if they can even keep Richarlison. I mean, it's you're the expert here, not me. And who knows if they manage to stay up? Even if they manage to stay up, I mean, who knows that you know? It's it's it. Frank already looks seven years older, having taken that job for just thirty four days. Who knows if he's even going to survive till next season? Even if they stay up. I feel for Frank. I, I think this weekend's massive against Wolves. Just a, the, I mean, this is what it's come down to. Our great asset is the fan base of Everton at Goodison Park. I mean, just the most yeah. passionate, the most joyous. They will get behind the lads, I fear, for Everton Football Club. I will say, I think it's incredibly dark. And I love your question because it tries to suggest that um, there will be a Premier League Everton. And my world is imploding right now. Um, the club is in such chaos. We don't quite understand the legal structure. It's not why we watch for legal structures, but Usmanov, the oligarch who we've just severed from the club, was not an owner, but was backing the club with enormous um, investment. Uh, we do not know how much of his investment was behind the new stadium, uh, which has kind of been started. It's like a big hole in the ground. Um but we don't know what he wanted out of it. And we don't know what Mashiri actually has, the owner, without Usmanov. I mean, they were so intertwined in business. 
And so I'd say there's a massive ownership question that needs to be answered in terms of now we have severed our relationship to the oligarch, which is absolutely the right thing to do. Have we essentially imploded our own finances again finances not while we watch the club so i'm worried about the football but many of my worries about an absolute implosion of a football club there are you know there's rumors when you speak to investors in london that the club has been quietly fire sailed um and are hoping that they can pick up the backdraft of the american investors who are trying to charge towards chelsea um, but you look at the first question any of them are going to ask which is let me see the books and the books are not pretty there's years of of just craziness, just absolutely reckless spending. Um, don't even get to the fact that if they do get relegated, there's hardly a contract that probably has a clause in for um, for, for 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 relegation. Um, and so that always the the teams that have no clauses or had not thought about relegation just financially to try and maintain a squad that you're paying on Premier League salaries when you've gone down into the championship is absolutely savage. So I have many, many, many fears. It's a joy, Kevin, to hear you even moot um, that Everton could be Premier League still. I love that. The free fall uh, and our form, the worst in the league, I think, since Eddie Howe was promoted as the statistic is deeply, deeply harrowing. And I just say, yeah, I've come to realize that my fandom, because I am mourning, I find myself mourning uh, my memories, the experiences I've had as an Evertonian, the joy that I've shared across generations with my family. And a number of you have written in, a number of great GFOPs have said that ultimately Everton is like Dostoyevsky's toothache uh, that he wrote about in Notes from the Underground. An unnamed narrator called The Underground Man argues that humans actually like and need pain and suffering. And he uses toothache as his example. And the basic thrust isn't that we enjoy the pain itself, but we enjoy the fact of being in pain as evidenced by how eager people are to broadcast their pain, make others aware of their suffering and how others then give them the love and care that they need. It's almost a statement of higher consciousness. And to me, that may be my future as an Everton fan. It may just be, for me, Dostoevsky's toothache. And God, I'm really trying to rationalize. I'm really trying to think through. I'm dreading this weekend. Um, you know, I think about Arsenal fans, how joyous it is that you actually look forward to now to watch Arsenal for the first time in a long time and you expect to win Everton. And being an Evertonian is the exact opposite. But at least Rebecca Lowe's become American, Dave. We can cling onto that. Let's bring this beauty home. What a roller coaster of emotions. Real Madrid fans, joy. PSG fans, darkness. Everton fans, uh, even bloody darkness. Should we do a quick Jägermeister toast, David? Yeah, I'd love it. You summon a toast, Rog. Make all of us feel better. And most of all you. <laughs> yeah, God, I need this Jägermeister, this bolt of human emotion in a shot glass to football making a correct decision, finally. Um, FIFA confirming they've eliminated Russia from World Cup playoff contention. Poland have been given a buy in the playoffs. They will play the winners of Sweden and the Czech Republic. Uh, they've also announced that Scotland's World Cup playoff semi-final against Ukraine has been postponed. The two teams were to meet at Hamden on the 24th of March, but good senses has been seen that uh, to allow Ukraine's request to push that tie, you know, I was, I've, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I was with the Ukrainian squad when um, Crimea was invaded in 2014. They were actually due to play the US in a friendly before the World Cup. That had to be moved to Cyprus. Yeah. And being with those players, you saw how they were there in body, but not in mind. They still ran out as 2-0 winners. But you really saw a group of individuals who understandably had football as the last thing on their mind. And I just raised this glass to better days ahead for all. Oh, Rog, got to tell you, I feel for you. It's, uh, I still believe, I still believe that Everton are going to make it. And I think it's going to be the Goodison Park faithful, as you said, who can lift them into next season. But long term, you just got to imagine that this ownership change, which seems inevitable at this point, is going to be good for the club and put the club on this, you know, back on the footing that it's history um, really deserves um so thinking of you mate 
Okay. Thanks, mate. That is it for this Spotify Green Room. Again, GFOP is attending. You're getting the news before everyone out there uh, in Podland. Tickets to our live show Tuesday, May 10th, here in New York City are now available. Links to purchase are all over our social media. Come be with us, GFOPs. Vendepunk Rog. War pig. I like snacks. Bald swim, bald swim. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. It's a twin. Africada, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Oh, love you, Everton Football Club, but you don't love me back. And I think you can hear Martin Scorsese in the background. I've got to go and feed that bad boy. <laughs> hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami. There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.